Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Are you sure? All right, just make sure. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen above. The, I'll let you know we've been uh, doing a sermon series. We just started last week called You Asked For It. And one of the things that we were asking you to do was to submit questions about things that you want to ask. It could be based upon scripture, based upon current events in, in the world and things like that. And last week we kicked off talking about the end times because everybody seems to think, hey, I want to know when the end's going to be here, right? Like, I mean, in the reality, we would all probably like to know in some way, shape, or form what our last day may be, what it's going to look like, right? Like if you could figure that out and you knew you were going to die at a certain time, you might live a little bit differently, but in, in, in reality, also, I would think at it this way. If I knew when I was going to die, I might try and do things differently to a point where I would live more in fear, when the reality should be that I live in the freedom that Jesus has offered so that I can experience the life he gives us. So we know that our days are numbered. We know that we're living in the end times, technically, based upon what scripture says. In other words, the end times being that we don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus doesn't even know. He's waiting on the, the, the word from the Father. We started last week with that end times of mind because I believe one of the things that we have to understand is this, that my life and how I live my life needs to be in regards or I live my life in obedience to and in expectation that Jesus is coming back. So as a result, everything from here on out, I believe the questions we ask, the things we get into need to be built around this, that the end is coming. We don't know when, okay? It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years. It could be 100 years. It could be 1,000 years because a, a, a day to the Lord is like 1,000 years to us right? And so that's the reality of the end times. But today, uh, this question came up, and it really came up from this. Somebody asked this question, and my Bible doesn't line up with what your Bible says. What version do you use? And so I wanted to really piggyback on that and explain, um, really, why is God's Word still applicable, and how does it matter, or what, what plays out? So I'm going to give you a quick heads up about the version I currently use, what we may go to in the future, and why. Um, and then we'll jump into second, uh, or then we're going to jump into the main part. So if you, have, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to start just a little bit ahead before what shows up on the screen. I'm going to actually read verse 15, or starting in verse 14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then we get to verse 16. All scripture is what? Anybody tell me that. God breathed, all right? No, or God inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I'm going to use that as a general outline, and we're going to unpack the rest of Scripture for us to see what's going on. But I want to explain, first and foremost, what version of the Bible I use. I use the NIV. It's the New International Version. For those of you who ask, you're going to say, why? Because that's what I've had. It's what I've used since I was a kid. When I was growing up, you had basically that I remember three main Bibles that I remember that we had in our house. My dad had this old Bible called The Way. It was called The Living Bible, but on the front, it was a green paperback book Bible that said The Way. 
And it was the Living Bible, right? And I don't remember my parents ever using that. We had a King James Version Bible, but my parents didn't use that. And then when NIV came out, my parents used that. And so I use the NIV because that's how I memorize scripture. Those are the scripture texts I have memorized in those versions and things like that. So I want to give a quick definition of why certain versions are certain ways, okay? In the Bible or with the Bible, most Bibles have used what we call the historical manuscripts that we can date back some to within just a few decades of the life of Jesus when the apostles would have been alive as well, okay? So we have manuscripts that date back to those time frames. Now, we have certain versions of the Bible, like New American Standard and ESV. If we were to put a, a line across up here, and we said, we got ones that are very word for word. They're going to take the original language, and word for word, they're going to communicate it. You're going to have the NAS, New American Standard Bible, and the ESV, the English Standard Version and then King James and New King James right in here, they're going to be word-for-word text. But sometimes, if you and I are in English, when, when I took English and Greek in school, right, one of the things that would happen is when you stick to word-for-word, word, sometimes it gets lost in translation in English. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It sticks so close to word-for-word, word, you go, huh? I, I, I'm not getting that. I don't get it, all right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, so that's the strict word for word, on the other end of the spectrum, you have what we call paraphrases. Anybody ever heard of the Message Bible? The Message Bible was one man's paraphrase that he tried to put it in, in a language that he could say made sense, all right? Now, when I read the Message Bible, there's a lot of times I go, man, I hate that because I hate the way he worded it. All right, but that's one man's version. Word for word, and some of these things over here are scholars. I'm talking a, a large group, anywhere from 20 to 50 scholars who take the original text, go word for word. I say in between there, there's what we call word for word, there's the paraphrase. In between is what we call thought for thought. In other words, we want to communicate the truth of God's word in a very thoughtful way that communicates itself to today's. Hears. So NIV and the Christian Standard Bible would line up right in that center section. So we got word for word, ESV, NAS, you got paraphrase down here, the Message Bible, and in between you would have things like the Christian Standard Bible or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. You'll have the NIV, the New Living Translation tends to lean a little bit more towards paraphrase, but it's still in that thought for thought. So do you guys understand that? Does that communicate it? All right? I'm a very thought-for-thought thought type of person. I can be very specific. As a matter of fact, if you've known me or been around me for a while, I try not to make this more complicated because I believe that God's Word is made for the everyday person. You don't have to have a master's education. You don't have to have a doctorate. You don't have to be a person who's been educated in all of this theology to understand God's Word. God wants to communicate to everyday mankind, and that's why He gave us God's Word. And so it's important for us to understand those aspects. I use the NIV because that's what I use. But now I will tell you that deep down in my heart right now we're wrestling, and here's the reason why. NIV, I use the original NIV from 1984. They don't print that anymore. They've updated. They've gotten into this modern ideology type stuff. And in 2011, they started to tweak some things. So if you were to go out and buy an NIV, you're going to be like, oh, my NIV doesn't line up with yours. 
And it's because they tried to go into what we'll call gender neutrality on certain things. And I, they began to change certain ways and words that, that took place in there. So I've been wrestling over the last couple of years about going two directions, either to go to ESV or the Christian Standard Bible. Either one, great, great, great translations, um, but ones that, that we're looking at. So I'll tell you that. That's where we're at right now, okay? Do you guys have any questions on that? Good, okay. If you have a question, you can come talk to me afterwards, um, and I'd love to talk to you more about it. But I, I wanted you to understand what we use. I use the NIV, and then I want to jump in from there and really ask this question. Why is God's word still applicable today? In other words, how do you sit back and say that God's word is inerrant, it's profitable, that it hasn't changed. Like you'll hear consistently when you talk to people who say, I got a problem with Christianity, they'll usually say, well, you guys have changed the word. No, no. Matter of fact, the great news about the Bible, and I want to clarify a couple of things as we jump into this. The great news about the Bible is this, that the Bible is a combination of 66 individual books written by 40 different authors on three different continents over a time frame of about 1,500 years in three different languages that all are unified about one specific thing, that God's desire was to reach out to mankind and provide salvation because they couldn't provide it for themselves and that that salvation would come through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament talks about the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament introduces the Messiah. And then as a result of the Messiah's death on the cross and his resurrection, the proclamation of the gospel to the world. So it's important for us to understand that because everybody always wants to say things like this. I don't trust the Bible because... It contradicts itself. Now, here's where I begin to argue those arguments or, or begin to argue with people or discuss with people on those things. Usually the people who say that have, number one, never read it, and number two, only listen to people who are around. Because there is more unity within the Bible than there you can ever find a contradiction. As a matter of fact, most people who say the Bible contradicts itself, it's never a contradiction. There's a question into numbers, like, this doesn't make sense numerically, right? And so most people, when they dig into that, to begin to ask these questions. And what I wanted to do today is to ask this question, why is God's word still applicable and or is the Bible still truthful after all of these years? Because if it is, then we have to align ourselves or align our, our beliefs under that. Four out of five adults... In the, in the world today, or 80%, agree that the values and morals of America are declining. Matter of fact, we talked about last week. If you were to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, just the chapter, uh, the, the beginning of the chapter that we just referenced, it says that there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Do you hear what I just said? He says it's going to be bad as the times get worse, Right? And four out of five Americans say that they believe that the moral decline of America is obvious to everybody else. But listen, only 26% attribute that to a lack of reading the Bible or understanding what the Bible 
says. Now, Judges warned us this, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Judges was very clear in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we live in a time and a world and a culture that says, hey, what works for you, works for you. And what may be true for you, may be true for you, but it's not always true for me. And what we have to get to understand is this. There is, based upon scriptural teaching, there is absolute truth. And then there's what the world wants to say, which is relative truth. Relative truth is the idea that, hey, great, that's good. What's true for you isn't true for me, right? Now, we can argue all kinds of relative truth, right? Like I could say the Broncos are the greatest team in the NFL. The problem is that recent record proves that false, right? But what's true for me is true for me. So you guys can't come down on me as Chiefs fans who have actually won a Super Bowl more recently than the Broncos and tell me that that's right. Do you get what I'm saying? Relative truth is only relative to the person that's holding it in. And in reality, it's not necessarily a truth. It's more of an opinion. And what I want to do is explain a couple of things. Number one, that in order to understand God's word, we have to see this, that there are two things throughout scripture that are played out. Number one is general revelation. God reveals himself to all of mankind. General revelation, he reveals himself through nature. You can read Psalm chapter 19. You can read Romans chapter one. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter one, verse 20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So in other words, in general revelation, God reveals the truth about himself through creation through history and how he's worked in the lives of the people of Israel, as well as in the people of the church, as well as in history. God has never been thrown off by what goes on. But listen, God has also allowed, as a result of Satan working, God has allowed certain things to take place because he knows in the end he's going to come. That as a result of sin, evil men have risen and arose into power and taken on wicked and evil ways, satanic ways, to show rule and power and authority. I mean, we can look at Hitler. We can go back to Mussolini and go back into the dark ages and the the brutality and what took place in the Reformation and different things like that. So there's general revelation where God reveals his truth through nature and through history and through the surroundings. And as well, he does it through the prophets. But then there's God's special revelation. His special revelation is through the word himself, which is Jesus Christ, and through his written word, which is the Bible. His special revelation is very specific about what takes place. It's God revealing himself through miraculous means, visions, dreams, spoken word to individuals, and how he guarded and kept that. So I want you to keep in mind with this Bible, 66 different books, individual books written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period, in three different languages across three separate continents, Europe, Africa, and Asia, all proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ would die on the cross, that Jesus Christ would rise again, that he would offer us life and life more abundantly through the forgiveness of sins because his shed blood on the cross paid the price for those sins. So it's important for us to understand that. And it's also important for us to understand that we have copies of ancient written manuscripts with small timescales from when they were written to when the manuscript was found. In other words, this manuscript may have been written, like I said, within 10 to 15 years of Jesus' death. 
And we can date those back on scientific data to within that time frame when the disciples would have been alive. So the disciples or apostles could have easily said, hey, this doesn't line up with scripture and called it into question. And so those manuscripts, matter of fact, if you were to be able to go and find out about them, you could go and look up the Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that. Go back and prove like the book of Isaiah and the accuracy with which the book of Isaiah was translated transformed and and passed on generation after generation after generation, keeping in mind that Isaiah was written some 800 years before the birth of Jesus ever happened. So there is a unity that we have to begin to understand that when people say, well, you just follow by a blind faith. Is there some blind faith in following Jesus? Yes. But I also want us to understand that there is scientific and archaeological evidence along with the historical evidence and the proof of nature and what God shows that lines up and lets us know that we're not following just a blind faith, but we're walking in obedience to what God's word says. So all of that lines up for us to see this, that Proverbs chapter 30 says, every word of God is pure and he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Jesus, in the temptation, when he goes and is tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus combats or comes against Satan as a result of quoting Deuteronomy chapter 3. As a matter of fact, he says something like this, right? Man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's important for us to align our lives under that because we understand that in the midst of the ringer, in the midst of the trials and the struggles and the temptations, in the midst of the chaos of what may be going on in the world, that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus fought against the temptation of Satan while he was in the desert by knowing and quoting God's word. And I believe that's one of the most important things that we have to understand as believers, that I have to know God's word and I have to be able to quote it. And the reason why I quote it is because when I go through a trial or a temptation, that it's those times when God's word speaks truth into my life. That when a friend says, oh, you just need to curse God and die like Job's friends or Job's wife did when he hit the ringer, when he was facing the worst of worst situations in life, that he could say, no way I'm going to curse God and die because God is the one who has blessed me and encouraged me and he is going to walk me through this storm, this trial, and this valley. So here's the big idea. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that God's word has all power to make my life profitable as we listen, obey, and live it out. God's word has all power to make our lives profitable as we listen to it, as we obey it, and as we live it out. So here's the realities. We break this down. Number one, God's word is living and active. All right? God's word is living and active. It's important for us to understand this, that his living word, his, his word is life breathing. I remember going, we were down in Texas getting ready to go to seminary. We go down and look in, we're in Fort Worth, actually we're in Arlington. We stopped at a gas station and I'll never forget, we're on this gas station on, on 360, 360 runs between I-30 and I-20 in, in Fort Worth. You're actually driving right down the middle of Arlington. Matter of fact, 360 used to go right past Dallas Cowboy Stadium, the old one. Sorry. You know, you know the joke that Cowboys fans always said, the reason why they left the dome like half completed was because God wanted to watch his team play. 
And I used to be like, oh, whatever, dude, you guys are. So <laughs> I was like, why would a guy want to watch that bad of a team play football? Sorry. Anyway, so <laughs> I mean, why would you torture God with that kind of stuff? Anyways, God's word is living and active. And I remember sitting down, we're, we're, we're making a phone call, I'm calling up my aunt. And as I sit down to, to, to make this phone call, this old school thing called a payphone, right? We all have cell phones. We don't even remember what a payphone is. Like we're, and I, I, I dialed my aunt's number, and I call her up, and as I'm calling her up, this homeless man comes up, and he starts interrupting me, and I get real short, and I'm like, bro, can't you see I'm on the phone? Leave me alone. And I mean, I was really rude. And you could see he was like, oh. And he just turned and walked away. And I'm getting ready to get in the car. I get done with my phone call to my aunt. I'm getting ready to get in the car, and I look at Sarah, and I'm like, I got to go have a conversation with this guy. And, and she's like, what? I mean, we're in Arlington, Texas, on Highway 360. It's not a good area, and I, and I learned it even more so as, after I lived there, but it's not a good area. And this guy's homeless, and I'm like, I grab my Bible, and I'm like, I'm going to go have a conversation. And I walk up to the side of this gas station on 360 Highway, and I sit down on this milk carton outside the gas station next to this dude. And I open God's Word, and I start reading it. This guy had a cup of beer. He had poured the beer into a cup in his hand. And later on, we'd find out also that he had a thing of marijuana in his hand that he was getting ready to smoke because I remember him handing it to me. (laughs) Here, I don't want this anymore. And I was like, what am I supposed to do this? So I go and give it to my wife. Here, hold this. (laughs) And she's like, what? But I start reading the word, and he starts crying. Tears start rolling down his face. And his exact word, this is his exact word. He goes, you know, I, I, I'm looking for love. And of course, my first thing was like, you're a dude, I'm a dude, not happening, bro. And he goes, but not love from a man and not love from a woman. I'm looking for love. And he's standing there, and, and I'm, I'm holding the Bible, and, and he goes, this is truth, isn't it? And he starts to cry. And as he starts to cry, I can see his tears are like so, he's so, cond- so polluted with the drugs and alcohol. They're milky white, literally, just milk pouring out of his eyes. And he goes, this is truth. And I share the gospel with him. And he wants to accept Christ right there. And I remember walking away and I said, we, we had just interviewed at a church down there to be the youth pastor, and I knew for sure I wasn't going to that church. I said, you know the only reason I interviewed that church today? And I looked at my wife, I said that, and she goes, what? I said, to meet that dude. Because the word of God is living and active. And when the gospel is presented to somebody who has never understood or hears the hope, do you want to know why most people have problems with the gospel? It's because they don't know. They've never been told the gospel. They've always been told, get your life straightened out. God doesn't love you because you're not obedient to him. You are hated. You're an enemy of God. When all of those things, while true, are not what the good news is about. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross and you don't have to pay the price for your sins because Jesus did it for you. And you can walk in freedom 
freedom and obedience and out of slavery because the living and active and breathing word of God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for your sins. And the spoken word of God is the very thing that communicates the truth of that to everybody, all of mankind. So it's important for us to understand that God's word is living and active. It's at work. It cuts to the part of joints and marrow. It separates it all out. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. In other words, when a pastor gets up and preaches the unadulterated word of God, then it's not the pastor's words that cut to the heart. It's the word of God that cuts. It's the word of God that calls. It's the word of God that directs. It's the Holy Spirit knocking at the door and the truth of God, of God being proclaimed that calls a person to change. It is never the pastor's job to manipulate a circumstance. It is always the truth of God's word that cuts to the heart. That's why we have to build our lives upon it. So listen, it's living, it's active, it's breathing, it's moving. That's what he gets in and he says, all scripture is God breathed. It is the very words of life that God speaks out and gives. And people can say, well, it doesn't line up. It doesn't make sense. You're telling me that God spoke to certain people and then those people wrote it down. Yes. It's what we call the inspiration of scripture. Now, before you go off and you go, well, that means just anybody could come in and say God spoke it and they believed it. Nope. No, it had to line up with what was going on. Back in the Old Testament, there were these guys called prophets. And when the Israelite people got out of line, God would drop the hammer. And when he dropped the hammer, he would do it through the words of the prophets because he was calling out the sin within the people of God, within the Israelite nation. And he would say, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And they wouldn't do it. And this would happen. And then they would repent. And God would restore them. But it's important for us to understand that God protects his word because it's living and inactive. As a matter of fact, and active. See, I want you to think about this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1, 1, right? That, that proclaims something. Before the light of day, there was the illumination of the word. Before the sun, the moon, the stars, before the mountains or the oceans, before the rivers and the lakes, before the deserts, before the trees, before animals, before fish and birds before man and woman, and before anything was brought into existence, there was the internal, inspired, infallible, perfect, powerful word of God. Luke 23, verse, or sorry, 21, verse 33 says, heaven and earth will all pass away, but the words, my words, this is Jesus, my words will never pass away. See, science and philosophy, education and government, kingdoms, and empires, theology, biology, psychology, socialism, communism, capitalism, gold, diamonds, dollars, they'll all pass away. But the word of the Lord will stand forever. Number one, God's word is living and active. Number two, God's word is rewarding in my life. Listen to what he says again. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's a rewarding aspect. In other words, what he does through the power of his word is to teach us how to think and how to live. In other words, I don't listen to what everybody else says. We live in a world right now that science has now been trumped by behavior. It's called psychology. That when psychology rules supreme, we have a problem because feelings mislead. 
And when I allow feelings to mislead me, then even as a believer, then I go into worry, I go into fear, I go into anxiety, I go into frustration, I go into doubt, and I walk in a falsehood because feelings will always mislead you. My feelings at times are often the very thing that Satan wants to work in to get me to not do something when God is calling me to do something. And so when psychology trumps science or when psychology trumps God's word, now we're in a problem because it's all going to be based upon how you feel. Does that feel true for you? Yeah, okay, then it must be true. That's not the truth. No matter how hard I want to try and reason and or argue it, I cannot go down that road. God's word is useful for teaching, teaching me how to think, how to think about finances, How do I think about relationships? How do I think about what's going on in the world? How do I prepare myself for the future? How do I prepare myself and and, and follow God in, in the future with a future spouse, husband or wife? What does that look like? How does that play out? What do I believe about what's going on in the world today? Right? All scriptures God read, useful for teaching. I want you to think about this. Teaching is this idea to train us how to think. It's our everyday beliefs. John 14, verse 26 says, but the advocate, this is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is what teaches you or reminds you of everything that God spoke to us through his word. So all scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching. That's a rewarding aspect because I want to align my life under the teaching of God's word so that I can walk in the very way he wants me to walk. But it's also good for rebuking. Now, nobody likes to be rebuked, last I checked, right? Like when my parents would rebuke me or if I have a boss who would rebuke me or somebody rebuked me, it kind of puts me in my place and it's either I got one of two options, right? I bow up and I disobey and I go find another job or I got my butt handed to me, right, <laughs> as a kid, right? My dad be like, do that again, I'll whip your tail. Oh, yep, did it again, see you later. Rebuking is an idea of discipline. A matter of fact, in reality, it's really played out with this. Rebuking is an idea of criticizing, reprimanding, or expressing disapproval. If God's word is useful for teaching, it's also useful for, listen, rebuking. In other words, it's God's way of saying, I don't approve of your lifestyle. I don't approve of your attitudes. I don't approve of your actions. I don't approve of the way you're going and the road you're walking down. And as a result, I don't approve you. So I'm using my word to rebuke you. In other words, to call you into a right place. Rebuking carries this idea of discipline, does it not? And when we understand it carries this idea of discipline, then we have to understand this. Hebrews says this, my son, or this is Proverbs, sorry. Proverbs says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. It's important for us to understand that rebuking is always God's way of putting us in a right place and calling us back into what is called righteousness. So I align my life under that. These two, listen, both teaching and rebuking lead us to sound doctrine. And sound doctrine leads to sound belief. And sound belief leads us to have a proper biblical world view. 
when our worldview falls out of understanding life through the biblical worldview, then we begin to go and chase every other teaching around. And we saw last week and we've seen in the past that people, as the times get worse and we grow closer and closer to end, will surround themselves with people who tickle their ears. In other words, tell you what you ought or think you ought to hear or think you want to hear. So number two, God's word is rewarding in my life because it corrects or it, it teaches and rebukes. Number three, it corrects. In other words, it straightens me out. So rebuking is this idea of getting me back on the right road. Correcting is a way of straightening out bad thoughts, bad actions, bad ideas. It teaches me how to live in accordance with God's laws and desires to protect as well as to give us every good thing. So he corrects me. But then listen, all of those things play out in this idea of training in righteousness. So he says, I use it to teach, I use it to rebuke, I use it to correct, and to train in righteousness. In other words, in obedience, in walking in a right way. Righteous means I walk in obedience to God. Unrighteous means I walk in my own direction. And so all scripture is God-breathed, spoken out, given by him to us, so that we can walk as people of righteousness, which is the very thing. You know, the biggest problem most people say is, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I have a problem with his followers because they act like a bunch of morons. Because they tell me to act a certain way, but yet they act just like me, and then they call me on the carpet. Listen, our job as believers is to walk in obedience to Jesus, not to cater, not to cower, not to walk in fear, but to walk in obedience to Jesus. But as we walk in obedience with Jesus, we walk in love. We walk with grace. We walk with great understanding. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? In other words, how do I walk in righteousness? Psalm 119 verse 9 says, by living according to your word. Verse 11 there says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I walk in accordance with God's word, right? That's how I keep my way pure. And how do I avoid sinning against God? I hide his word in my heart so that I don't sin against him. In other words, I need to know God's word day in and day out. I've got I've to live it. I've got I to take it in. And listen, I know a lot of you are going to say, I don't understand it all. Can I give you a couple quick tools that are very simple that you can access on your phones daily? There's one called the Bible Project. You can download the app. It's called Read Scripture. I believe the Bible Project does a great job of giving you videos that explain every book of the Bible. I can stand up here and tell you all of it. They got five to seven minute videos on every book of the Bible that will help you understand and make sense of why God's word matters and why this is here and why or what it's about. I think it's one of the best ones put out there for us to understand it. So listen, God's word is rewarding in my life. In other words, it's this, that when I am taught how to live, it's going to be rewarding. That when God rebukes me, it's going to be rewarding because God disciplines those he loves. That when I'm corrected because of bad thoughts or bad actions, that God's going to push me in the right direction. And lastly, that when I walk in righteousness, he's going to bless me because he says that's the way it's going to go. And I'm not talking about monetary blessing. I'm just talking about blessing you as you walk in obedience. And number three, 
If God's word has all power to make my life profitable as we listen, obey, and live it out, then number three is this, that God's word equips me for good work. Listen to verse 17. So that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, not halfway equipped, not partially equipped, not, oh, I'll give you a little bit, but you got to go the rest of the way, thoroughly equipped. In other words, he's going to give you everything you need to walk in obedience. He's going to give you everything you need to be and do every good work to those who are around us. God's word, listen, produces faith that leads to salvation. Romans chapter 10 says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Romans chapter 10, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. How does a person find out more about Jesus? How does a person come to Jesus? By hearing the truth of the gospel, the good news, the word of God proclaimed to those who have never heard it or never responded. And so God's word equips me for every good work that I can share the good news of the gospel with those who have never heard because listen, faith is produced by hearing the word of God. And listen, faith is what leads to salvation. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. In other words, it's not based upon anything you've done. It's just the faith that you say, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, paying the price. I am turning from my life of sin and I want to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to be sinless, but you desire to walk in righteousness. One of the worst flaws in today's theology is that God made me this way. All of us were created in God's image, but all of us have a sin nature. All of us have a sin nature. You and I were all created as sinful human beings, but it never gives me an excuse to just say, I'm going to continue to walk in sinfulness. God always calls us, whether the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery, God always calls the individuals. What's he say? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Go and sin no more. Walk in obedience. Why? Because God's word equips you for the good works that you are to carry out to those who have never heard. So simple, very specific thing. But James, I want to close with this. James chapter one, verse 21. Here's where I think the struggle becomes a problem. James 1 verse 21 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do it. See, the struggle doesn't come, I believe, with God. The struggle comes with us when we deceive ourselves. We listen to the word. We've gotten real good at listening to the word. But doing it, that's a whole nother ball game. I need to live the word out Now listen, this is not calling you to perfection. This is not calling you to to try and work out this idea that I'm going to earn my salvation. What it's calling you to do is to live the word. To be the word to those who have never heard it 
never seen it, never had it proclaimed to him. Listen, man is complete and thoroughly equipped by this. The good we do comes out of the overflow of the heart. And as we take in God's word, our heart changes. And as our heart changes out of the overflow of the heart, it says the mouth speaks. See, God's word, listen, in all of this is for us to understand the importance that God's word helps us overcome the temptations of Satan. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to close, very simple, very simple way. Sarah's going to come up. She's going to play just a little bit of a song. I just want you to pray where you're at. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I have a desire, a hunger, and a longing for God's word? That's for a believer. Do I have a hunger and a desire for God's word? If you don't, I would ask yourself why. What is it that you're filling your life with where you don't hunger? There's never a good excuse to say, well, I just don't know. I don't, I don't have it. God's word was written for the modern, normal man. Matter of fact, I don't know if you realize this. There are men who died, persecuted at the stake because they said it's not for the people who sat in the position of authority in the church, the church of England and different things like that. It's not for you to tell me what God's word says because God's word, when that veil was separated, when Jesus died on the cross and it said the veil was torn, is this thing we call the priesthood of every believer that every one of you, you, me, and everybody else has access to the Father through the Son because his word gives us that. That you and I don't have to have a preacher up here to tell you what to read. That I can read God's word and he can convict and guard and guide and direct me in every way to walk in righteousness. That's the beauty. That's the aspect. That's God's love poured out on the cross and shown through his word. So number one, do you have a hunger for his word? If not, why? Number two, I'd say ask God to give you that desire, that hunger. He's, he's wanting you to seek him. If you're a person who's never put your faith and trust in Christ, I believe today's the day to nail it down. There's no other way, no other name under heaven by which you must be saved, but other than Jesus. So God's word, I believe, is highly applicable. The reality is, do I want to align my word or my life under the truth of his word? And I want to give you a couple quick things. I want to give you a now, I don't know if you can buy these. Some people want to always go a little bit beyond. I haven't read this in a long time. I didn't even use it to prep, but it brought me a, an idea, a thought process. You want to know what you believe. You want to know what you ought to believe. This guy, Paul Little, wrote these. If you can find it, I know it was out of print for years. If you can find it, gra grab it. Because there's a very simple explanation. A super thin book. I think it's like 140 pages. And it covers everything. The Bible, man and sin, salvation, Jesus Christ. Great book. We also have another book that we recently started using called Believe by Randy Frazee. You can get that online. It'll cover that. I believe if you're a person who wants to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Bible, number one, read the Bible. But number two, you can read beyond that. Believe by Randy Frazee. Know what you believe by a guy named Paul Little. Just to push you a little bit further to get something. Father, we thank you for today. God, I'm thank you for the promise that we see that your word never returns void. That God, you correct, you rebuke, you retrain, you teach. 
through the truth of your word. May we align our lives up under that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. Have we got a closing song? Or are you done announcements? All right. If you responded, you say, I want to I talk more about this. Maybe you want to follow in baptism. Listen, we've got potentially six people being baptized here in the next coming weeks. Um, yeah, be praying about that, number one. Number two, if you want to follow Jesus, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, and you're aligning your life under that, you say that, then the Bible says there's this thing called baptism where we show it. It's a public profession of faith in Jesus. And what we're going to ask you to do is grab that connection card, fill it out. You can place it in the offering plate here at the end of the service or in the, one of the black boxes on the side of the sound booth back there. But this is the beginning point where you say, I'm going to follow Jesus the rest of my life. 